On this episode, we find out what happens in a reverse Tuvix scenario. Sulu gets put on ice. We learn more than we wanted to about Kirk's makeup routine. And Rand gets sexually assaulted again. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie. Welcome aboard, take a station, and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. Uh, this week we're discussing The Enemy Within. That's season one, episode five of the original series. Uh, this one's weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that it so, is. I mean, the, the, the basic concept is that a, trans, a transporter malfunction splits Kirk in two. He goes on a rampage. He assaults Yeoman Rand. I got it right. All the <laughs> while, there is an away team that's freezing to death on the planet because everyone is afraid to use the transporters. Because it might make an evil you. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I think that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode was uh, first broadcast on October 6th, 1966. Um, it was directed by Leo Penn. This is the only uh, episode of Star Trek that Leo Penn is going to direct. Uh, Leo Penn is an accomplished TV uh, director and actor. Uh, he has over 90 credit, uh, pardon me, 90 directing credits to his IMDb and more than 60 acting credits. His last working credit was a uh, Matlock he did in 1995. And he's also the father of actors, Sean and Chris Penn. Um, he did pass away in 1998, which probably explains why he didn't have any more credits. Okay, that's cool. I did not know that Sean Penn's dad was the uh, director of this episode. That's really cool. Yeah, and he directed, man, looking at his television thing, he's another one of those guys. If you saw a show show in the 70s, there's a good chance he did an episode of it. I mean, he just uh, really did a lot of work. Um, And it was written by Richard Matheson, uh, who is a fantasy and horror guy who is also known for writing for Shatner in Shatner's two appearances on the Twilight Zone, uh, <laughs> Nick of Time, and uh, Terror at 20,000 Feet, which, I mean, iconic, right? <laughs> uh, apparently, he had this idea in his head of Jekyll and Hyde, and so that's really what he was going for is, is the Jekyll and Hyde in this uh, episode. Which really makes sense when Spock gives his little speech later in the, in later on in the episode. It's it's very it breaks it really down to Jekyll and Hyde. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it it was if it wasn't obvious enough already, <coughs> Spock decided now's the time I'm going to beat you over the head with what's really going on. <laughs> now the interesting thing I found about Matheson was he was the guy who wrote the novel I Am Legend, which That's spawned amazing. three movies: Last Man on Earth, starring Vincent Price in '64. I Am Legend, starring Will Smith in 2007, and the my personal favorite, The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston in 1971. The Omega yeah. Man had a bad guy who was played by Anthony Zerby, who plays Admiral Doherty. Anthony Zerby! Yeah, yep, yep. He plays the, the evil leader of the zombies with the sunglasses. That um, is, in fact, The Omega Man, known as, or also known as The Good One. <laughs> Uh, he also wrote uh, the novel What Dreams May Come, and he was still adding writing credits uh, up through 2022, actually. Wow. So, I can't yeah. believe that guy is still writing. Yeah, That's crazy. I, I left out a lot of recognizable titles, too. I was really surprised when I went through his uh, information. It's like, oh, this guy 
this guy writes. He's he's kind of the Stephen J. Cannell level of, you know, I just can't stop writing. I'm addicted to keyboards. And he was just a guy who used to write fantasy and horror stuff and wrote Twilight Zone stuff. I mean, my God. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Once again, Star Trek's episode written by somebody who, I mean, a recognized writer who actually had some real writing, you know, it yep. wasn't just uh, some guys hacking out the in the back who had never done anything but television. They they really were getting some high level writers for the show. There is some great stuff in there. Now, uh, speaking of writing, uh, the production notes for this episode, for one reason or another, they were part of a, a lot of stuff that got on display at the Smithsonian in ninety three ninety four, and uh, as part of their, it's the only time that the Smithsonian put a fictional piece on, or a, uh, pieces from a fictional uh, experience on uh, display. Uh, and since then they've done it again, but that was the first time that it had ever been done. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it so happens that one of those was the production notes for this film, including uh, not only notes from the performance, but a letter between uh, Leonard Nimoy and Gene Roddenberry. I sat down and read through the entire letter and oh, it is wow. really impressive because Nimoy is just such a thoughtful actor about his part. He's going through it. And he's like, Gene, I really have to tell you, I don't think this is the kind of thing Spock would do, or I don't think it really makes much sense with the scenario that's going on for Spock to be angry at this person or Spock to, <laughs> to react this way. And he just walks through everything and, and he ends it very cordially with, I, I hope to discuss this with you in the future. And it, it's just one of those things where you're like, wow, this guy really cares about this, which is so rare to see on somebody who's on his fifth episode of <laughs> something that they were sure was not going to get picked up. <laughs> you know what? Since you're mentioning this excellent, excellent point for me to add in a correction, because last episode we spoke about the naked time and we spoke about the Vulcan neck pinch mm -hmm. and while the Vulcan neck pinch, that was the first time that it had been seen on the TV show. This episode is actually the first time it was ever used because this episode was actually filmed before the naked time. And so the story I told of them speaking to Mark Daniels, obviously I added the name Mark Daniels because it said director. It actually should have been Leo Penn because this is the episode that Shatten or that, um, Nimoy actually comes up with the concept of the neck pinch, which is kind of obvious when you're watching the episode, uh, because that first neck pinch, like you've all seen it. Uh, Nimoy does, or excuse me, a Vulcan does the neck pinch and the person that they pinch immediately, boom, they're out. <laughs> this is the first time they use it. And when he pinches Shatner, Shatner does this cheesy, <laughs> and then he falls. It's amazing. <laughs> If you uh, hit the wrong nerve, you could actually hit the overacting nerve that's right next right, right next to the, the knockout right. nerve. So I'm going to prepare everybody. The amount of scenery that has just been chewed on in this show is so <laughs> bad. Everybody is just putting 130% into everything. <laughs> and it is just so in your face. I love it. Over the top. <laughs> oh, this, that's what's crazy. This episode makes the naked time look kind of calm. Yes. <laughs> and again, this was only the fifth episode that they, uh, oh. that they aired. So 
it would have been interesting to see a lot of the reaction from people at, in 1966 to uh, this particular story and the way that it's oh, uh, yeah. y- portrayed. Oh, I, I can't even imagine that this, this actually made it on the air <laughs> this way. It is nuts. So let's, with that said, let's uh, go ahead and jump in. Our opening scene puts us on an alien planet and it's an away mission. <laughs> And it's lots of foam over paper mache and lots of dramatic music. And it looks like the enterprise is having a nice camp out on, I believe it's alpha three is the name of the planet. It's alpha Andorian hot dogs. (laughs) Well, speaking of hot dogs, so we see Kirk there. We see Sulu there. We see a bunch of technicians. We don't see any red shirts or any other officers, just Kirk and Sulu and a bunch of technicians. Um, mm-hmm. and Sulu is carrying a dog in a fur coat. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's as best as I can put it. A very small dog in a very big fur coat, which I think they would have done a good job to tell us where he got the dog. Like, was this dog on the planet? Did they bring it down? There's no explanation for this dog. The dog is just there. So this is a dog. I'm going to guess some type of terrier or something that they have put long pink hair coat on. (laughs) They glued a horn to his forehead and a long rat like tail. That's, I mean, it's like two inches thick at the base of the tail. It's a big ass tail. (laughs) Yeah. This actually, I find very reminiscent of the Klingon Targ dogs in Star Trek, uh, six. Oh, they were also in six. Oh yes, you're right. Uh, the prison guards had had targs, but all I can think is like, is this a targ? Does it grow up to become one of those, or is this like a long lost cousin or something? I it's it's just weird. It, it's, now, I the, think it's like the Chihuahua version. Of targ. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the little yappy version. Targs actually didn't used to have horns until they met these dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Fashion uh, on women would carry them in their little. Their little- <laughs> so it is kind of interesting, though. This dog, if you watch the show, this dog is high as a kite. I mean, <laughs> Sulu's petting the dog. The dog is just like, hey, that, that's, that's nice. Uh, at one point, Kirk walks up to him, grabs the dog's tail, and he just kind of calmly looks over, like, what are you doing back there? <laughs> there's a very good reason for that. Um, this is before we had any kind of animal rights activists involved in television uh, yeah. shows. So this dog was just heavily sedated so that they could get the scene out. <laughs> um, later on, we're going to see this dog get very, very angry. And when we see him very, very angry, it's because, well, they didn't feed it for 24 hours. And then they started poking it with a stick until it got mad enough that they could film the scene. Now, is that a union job? Is that a right? particular guy who has to poke the dog with a stick or, Listen, or who did my they get grandfather to do was a dog poker. <laughs> my father was a dog poker and by God, my son's going to be a dog poker just like his daddy. The sad thing that people don't talk about is that CGI has all but wiped out the job of dog <laughs> poker uh, in Hollywood. And nobody thinks about those people well, and what they have to go through. Listen, my father was a dog poker. That's true. But I went to college and I learned to do CGI so that <laughs> I could do the job of the dog poker. Future dogs need not be poked. <laughs> so 
they talk about how cold it's going to get. And it sounds pretty cold. It's going to get down to 120 below zero. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's a hundred. It gets down to 120 below and not one of them is packing a coat. We're all just in our shirt sleeves, just hanging out. Now I've personally seen 65 below. I've been in 65 below and I can tell you, I don't care how warm my car is on the inside. I am not even going down to the end of the block without a coat in that car. Right. This just makes absolutely, this kind of plays into, um, if anyone has seen the last season of Picard, there's a particular speech by Liam Shaw, Captain Liam Shaw, who points out to Picard and, and Riker that many of the things they saved everyone from were things that they created themselves. And he makes the comment when it comes to, you know, saving the galaxy, you guys got a whole chicken and egg thing going on. This is that. This is yeah. that right there. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> you know, and it, it is one of those things that we see up. It, honestly, we see it throughout Star Trek up until very, very recently when there's a new generation of writers and producers and just showrunners that are looking at it and going, does that really make sense? Because <laughs> throughout the history of Star Trek, you go to a, an alien planet and all you're wearing is your jumpsuit <laughs> or your t-shirt and slacks for some reason. Um, so they, they never think ahead to maybe we should wear something else unless you're Spock. And then you think ahead to wearing a non-sealed uh, suit or a hazmat suit. <laughs> Just don't reach underneath and scratch your nose. Don't touch your face. Whatever you do, don't touch your face. Yeah, it's yeah. just bizarre. It is It is one of those things that that uh, just way too many times the adventure in Star Trek starts out with the Enterprise crew vastly overestimating the uh, dependability of the technology that they use. Yep. Well, that, now, that very reason is why there are absolutely no seatbelts on the bridge. <laughs> it's never going to happen again. That is right. never going to fluke. Why would we turn off the inertial dampers? I don't get it. <laughs> so a, f- a few minutes later, um, geological technician Fisher is going to get hurt. Now this scene is, I think, pretty interesting because it really outlines Gene's experience being in the military <laughs> and, you know, dealing with a bunch of guys that are, you know, 18 and just blundering into stuff all over the place. <laughs> Uh, everybody that I, that I know who was in the military right out of high school has stories like this. Of, <laughs> well, I wasn't paying attention and I, I fell off a ladder or I walked into a wall or I sat in a rattlesnake pit. <laughs> They've all got crazy stories like this. So uh, technician Fisher was played by Ed Madden. He was one of those guys that's like, man, that guy looks familiar and found out. No, I hadn't seen anything he had been in <laughs> other than he had a non, non-speaking part in the cage as a geological technician, geological technician Fisher by chance. Yes, indeed. Uh, want- so other than, so basically him and Spock are the only ones who made it from Pike's group wow. to this crew. Maybe and they were the-, the only ones who truly survived the cage. <laughs> And this is the last time we're going to see him. So, you know, you kind of get the feeling that uh, Kirk was doing one of those clean house things, you know, either that or Spock's a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Fisher gets, gets hurt falling off a a bank 
uh, uh, what uh, what do you call that? A, a bank. Um, a yeah, big a pile of dirt. For, uh, right? Yeah, it's... And he, he hurts his hand, which apparently they just rolled in cornflakes and covered in syrup <laughs> because it was not a great makeup job. Um, and then he was covered in yellow dirt. The, the kind of yellow dirt that you look at it and you go, okay, it's like, you know, uranium. <laughs> That's definitely yellow cake right there. Um, but yeah, so then he, uh, he, he's, owie, owie, owie. And they're like, all right, you gotta, you're going to have to go back to the ship. <laughs> I, okay. love, I love when Kirk tells him to go back to the ship and he turns and he looks at the dog and he gives the dog a double take and the dog almost gives him one back. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing here either. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dog's like, whoa, are you as high as I am? Everybody else sees he's covered in yellow, right? So here's the thing. <laughs> he cuts his hand. You need to go back to the ship. So all of mm-hmm. us are carrying phasers. All of us are carrying tricorders. Nobody's carrying a durable regenerator. All right. In all fairness, in a few minutes, we're going to see the dermal regenerator that Bones has. That thing's huge. <laughs> I don't know what bag they're going to have to carry to put that thing in. It still seems to me like you would have one around, but, you know. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> um, and so we, our next scene is back at Scotty in the transporter. And he's bringing up the geological technician Fisher. <laughs> Yellow dirt and, and all. Right. Now you put in a, a note here that uh, have we ever seen a technician in a red crewman uniform before? Yes. This, there was a crewman in a, in an engineering uh, red uniform. Uh-huh. I don't remember seeing that. You know before. what that means? The uprising has begun, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're swapping roles already. <laughs> And I just move up that chain until they're captain of the enterprise. Oh yeah. Here's one of the things as we do these shows, I'm noticing tech, I'm noticing crewmen and technicians way, way more than I ever did before. Right. So I'm going to be interested. Is it my imagination or are they just kind of get phased out as the seasons go? We see more yeah. and more people in uniform and full officer uniforms than in the crewman uniforms. Yeah, I think it, that's one of the things that kind of leads to stuff like Lower Decks existing, right? Is that we see more and more of the people who actually do things on the ship kind of disappear. <laughs> I Like, the original series really did a great job of, like, there's guys who have no rank whatsoever wearing gray coveralls. And they are, you know, crawling through the bowels of the ship, cleaning <laughs> stuff, or, you know, going and clearing out some alien creature from a tube. You know, they're, they're just guys who have a job. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I always thought that was really great. And then you get to next gen and next gen, everything's flashy. Nobody really has a job. They have a profession. The computer does everything for us, right? It cleans everything for us. Unless of course, Picard needs a haircut. Then we find out where people actually work (laughs) and they're all bullions. <sighs> Poor bullions. <laughs> so I, I do love when they we beam up though, because this is this uh, features one of my favorite things in Star Trek: the big red light, the big red light that goes boop boop boop. But if anything <laughs> goes wrong, it doesn't tell you what's going wrong. It just tells you, yeah, something's wrong. Well, Now's the time. At this pay. point, Major Barrett still had another job. <laughs> <laughs> This, this thing is this thing is like the Federation or Starfleet version of the blue screen of death. I mean, it's just yeah. like you know, it pops up and you're just like, oh, you know, you're screwed. You're just not sure exactly how. <laughs> I'll transport you in a minute, but first I've got to reboot. 
everything <laughs> works better if you turn it off and turn it back on again. Amen. <laughs> no, I do. I do love they find. So they have a hard time getting Fisher on board and Scotty walks over to him and he's carrying a cutie pie. Like we talked about last, uh, last episode. Yeah. The radiation detector. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells Fisher, Hey, you got a bunch of stuff on you. This, your outfits, uh, magnetic decontaminate that uniform. And Fisher yeah. says, okay. And then walks right out the door. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I'm going to decontaminate. It's good thing. There's nobody in the hallways. <laughs> it's like, and if they are, they deserve to die. Decontamination is to do it before you come in contact with others. But well, not to mention the very last episode. Spock and the crewman beam in and he immediately is like, decontaminate now. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the next episode, Scotty's like, I don't know what they're talking about. Man, there's no such thing as decontamination. <laughs> You're not dirtying up my transporter room with your crap. Right? <laughs> you, you can you march over to sick bay and <laughs> yeah. they're going to rub gel on you. Get over there. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it's going to be McCoy. Sorry, man. <laughs> it's going to be as cool as you think. <laughs> So, um, so, uh, Kirk calls to get beamed up. And as soon as he beams up, Scotty's like, you there, get me a synchronic meter. What's a synchronic meter? <laughs> I don't know. So I was like, I thought that's what, what people used to tune their guitars. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk gets there and he's all woozy and all I could think is, that's gotta, that can't be the first time that Scotty has seen Kirk get beamed up all, little all dizzy on an alien world. Oh, my head's killing me. And Scotty's like, I had no idea there was bars or women on that planet. Huh. <laughs> How come nobody ever invites me? Yeah, well, we'll see what happens when they invite you in a, a wolf in the fold right. later on. So he starts, he starts wandering towards the door. He looks all drunk and, and Scotty's like, let me take you over to sickbay. And he's like, no, no, Scotty, I got this. Who else is going to run the transporter? <laughs> and Scotty's well, kind of like, well, you're no real shape to make me do anything or stop me from doing anything. So <laughs> there's no point in telling me what to do. I'm taking you to sickbay. Also, I, I should point out, Kirk didn't say there's nobody else to run the transporter. He literally said, don't, don't leave the transporter room. <laughs> <laughs> If there, only Scotty there, had just listened. <laughs> there, there, Captain. You're an idiot. <laughs> so as soon as they walk out outside, what happens? Evil Kirk beams aboard. Oh, boy. And you can tell he's evil because he has eyeliner on. Oh kind of Robert God. Smith from the Cure type thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so a sure sign. I told you that everybody's going to chew on the scenery in this show. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk beans in facing backwards. So you're like, what is this? What is he doing? I don't, I don't understand it. I, I, I swear this is the exact same pose that Michael Jackson did at the uh, Motown awards that one year, right? Before oh he yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and his the white shoulders kind of white pushed up, hold it, hold, you know, face away from everybody. And it's like, totally. Oh man, Kirk is going to start breaking it out right here. But that didn't happen. And so then he spins around and we're like, oh my God, it's Kirk. Like we didn't realize that. And then he comes towards the camera and he looks up and they, they uplight him and it's this bright white light. He's got like weird green eyeshadow and eyeliner on. And 
they shine that camera right up his nose and it's super weird. You just like, ah, I didn't ever want to see that. And he opens his mouth in this grin and he's just so happy to be evil. It's amazing. It is. If you have not seen this episode, please, please go watch the first few minutes. It is so amazing. You'd almost swear that William Shatner was actually a creep by watching this episode, but, but that couldn't be right. So we'll move on. Oh my God. No, you know what? It makes me think that maybe Shatner was a nice guy after all, and that he just doesn't get to play a creep very often. So TJ anyway, Hooker. <laughs> so yeah, he's got his guy liner on. He's ready to go. <laughs> so he walks over to to the, uh, or actually no, this is before. First, we got to go go out and do our our uh, our opening scene. Oh what, yes. Uh, now, one thing I want to point out: this is Star Date One Six Seven Two Point One. The okay. naked time is star date one seven zero four. So this story actually happens before the naked time. Okay. I don't know why that's important. So there's um, specimen gathering on Alpha one seven seven. Okay, specimen gathering. Yeah. Okay. Then that's called stealing a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I guess that's one of the things. That's where the dog is coming from. We're going to assume that right. he was a specimen. They gathered him. Right. Oh, look, they have these specimens that are shiny round gold coins. We should collect these specimens. I certainly hope the dog isn't like God to a whole people that, you know, we didn't see on right. that planet. They, uh, well, it's actually, uh, he's God to his sentient fleas. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I find interesting that uh, Kirk does his, uh, does his, um, captain's log on this thing but it's retrospective he's talking about what we didn't know at the time is there's a creep who looks like me running around so it seems that kirk is kind of a procrastinator and he likes to catch up with all his logs at the end of the week rather than do them as things happen i mean guess i don't know how often do you make personal logs like i don't i have never made a personal log (laughs) okay um i'm a big fat dork actually (laughs) I'm lying. I've totally made a personal life. I, I used to work a night job and I had a lot of time when there was nothing going on. And uh, yeah, I, I've made personal logs. I, I was sitting in a big room all by myself and my computer had voice control. Anyway. What are you going to do? You got time and a computer. Right. So anyway. Um, so. The the thing is, I I think I would do a personal log after something happened. Like I already know what happened, so now I'm just going to report on it. Not so much like I wonder what's going to happen next, because <laughs> I just don't think anybody cares enough to know what happens next in my personal log. Yeah, but he's a, he's the captain of the starship. He's supposed to keep getting us up to date. Yeah, and I just like That's to think fair. that Captain Kirk was kind of irresponsible. <laughs> I mean, you it can think that all you want. And it's it fits in my view of Captain Kirk. <laughs> Fair. So we go back and Kirk is still evil, still prancing around the uh, transporter room. Oh. And suddenly his eyes settle on the transporter console. <laughs> and he just has to touch it. <laughs> now, this is particularly creepy. If you had just watched The Naked Time and remember, well, Kirk is going nuts before he leaves the room. He looks around. And mutters to himself, never gonna never gonna lose you. Never gonna lose you. To him speaking never about his ship. Up. Never gonna 
let you down. I'm never going <laughs> to turn around and desert you. <laughs> so Sorry. yeah, his, his, the amount of affection that he, I, I guess that's not affection. What would you call that? The amount of creepiness? Lust. There we Listen, go. Listen, yeah. it comes down to one statement. It's okay to love your ship. It's just not okay to love your ship. <laughs> so a crewman walks in while he's doing this, and the look on his face is like, oh, you didn't see nothing. He looks so guilty. Like, you know, he was just caught loving his ship. <laughs> and and the, the crewman's nice and tries to help Kirk, and evil Kirk starts to st- st- stumble out, but before he does, he turns and then he just gets this weird smile on his face and then they cut the scene. Yeah, it's it's real weird. And <laughs> this guy didn't deserve to be treated this way. <laughs> We're going to say that a lot on this episode. <laughs> and I think he's the same uh, crewman that gets his phaser taken away later, isn't he? Yep, sure yeah. does. Yep. It's, it's unfortunate. Poor guy. Now, um, good Jim is still trying to make his way back to his quarters and Scotty tells him you really should go to this, the sick bay and Jim tells him, yeah, I will. And then doesn't. That's true, but that's okay because evil Jim's going to go to sick bay instead. (laughs) (laughs) So evil Jim walks into uh, sick bay and in sick bay, McCoy is bandaging up Fisher's hand. Now, the ingenuity here is great. Uh, he's got his dermal regenerator, which we'll come back to in a second. <laughs> Picture in your head, it looks like one of those barbecue lighters. <laughs> and he kind of deedle deedle deedles on the guy's hand for a sec with it. And then he sprays it with a squirt bottle <laughs> and wipes his hand off. Which, I mean, it actually makes a lot of sense logistically, <laughs> but it looks so corny in the, under the circumstances. Now, I have to wonder though, so this is one of those squirt bottles. It's a round bottle and it's got the concentric rings in a cone shape that go up to the nozzle. You've all seen these. You've probably got two of them underneath your bathroom counter right now, right? Everybody has seen these stupid things. Did the set designers think this looks kind of futuristic? So we're going to put it in on the show because it does not look futuristic in any way. It looks like somebody got and like stole something off of the janitorial cart and said, here, squirt this on that guy. It's like, why is the doctor squirting glass cleaner to that guy's hand? <laughs> and then he lovingly wipes his hand down. He's like, all right, kiddo, get out of here. And Kirk walks in. Okay, well, hold on. So I, I'm a total dork. I did do a deep dive on this. I'm going to tell you, it, it took me a while, but I finally found it. This prop. Um, it is referred to as, uh, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I didn't put the name down. It's got like three different names. All of them basically mean dermal regenerator, but (laughs) in like every other way they could say it. So it is an absolute custom piece. They, they made this big giant thing that he has to hold on to. I'm guessing because it's got D cell batteries in it to run the lights and sounds that it had. That would make sense. And then the nozzle of it is actually molded off of an Electrolux vacuum nozzle. (laughs) It's so cool. That is cool. (laughs) So Kirk walks in and he is looking all angry and he's like, listen, 
Brandy. Actually, he doesn't say listen. He just says Brandy. And, sorry and Brandy. Sorry and Brandy. That's right. So you actually, because <laughs> I had a question on this, because my question was, sorry and Brandy gets mentioned a lot throughout Star Trek. Is Sar a planet and the Brandy comes from Sar? Or is the Brandy made by a race of reptilian Sarian beads? And you actually found out. I did. I did a deep dive on this and it was kind of interesting, actually. It turns out both of those things are true. Um, the So the Saurians are, a, or Saurians, or however you say it, they're a race of lizard people. Um, there actually was one on the Enterprise in the motion picture. Um, he looks real weird. He's like a, almost like a velociraptor kind of face, but with a short snout and like shrimp eyes. Like that, that kind of like, it's a big red orb. Just kind of uh, on a flat plane. Real gross looking. They they look actually they did look a lot like shrimp. Eh, anyway. Um in lower decks, they have a Saurian on the Titan who looks much more like a lizard. And then on Discovery, there's Linus. Got, yes. Yes. Um, okay. And also a a Saurian, source of comic relief in a couple episodes. <laughs> um but uh, that's the one that the one on lower decks is actually modeled after. Okay. Now it turns out they're called Saurians because they're from the planet Sauria, um, which is very convenient considering they are, you know, lizard. <laughs> um, I like how basically when they came to the Federation, you know, Earth just decided you guys are named this now. Well, right? no, we actually have a name, but no, you are now the Saurian people. You're welcome. No, no. We've given you identity. <laughs> yes. our, our name is Thwak Cha. No, no. You're <laughs> Romulans. And those people you don't like are from Remus. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so the brandy is, is well known across the Federation and everybody loves it. It's good stuff. Except if you're in the Kelvin timeline, which I think explains a whole lot. The Kelvin timeline is um, <clears throat> not on the top of my list. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to get started. <laughs> I think it has something to do with the fact that they outlawed Sori and Brandy. That's what messed everything up. You know what? That's why Kirk's parents were the way they were. Okay. All right. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to accept that. Yeah. Gonna, prohibition sucks. Exactly. As, as Homer Simpson said, I tried that in the movies and it didn't work. This is a prime <laughs> example. <laughs> now, Sorry and Brandy is also known throughout the Star Trek universe as coming in a very unique bottle. These are awesome. It, it is a big bottle that is triangular shaped and it's got kind of a nozzle that leans off to one side. It is uh, actually a prop created off of a commemorative bottle from the George Dickel uh, whiskey distillery. It was from their first run in 1964. Uh, their, their very first uh, barrel tapping, they put it in these and the bottle is supposed to look like a revolutionary powder horn. And so, I mean, it actually ends up looking more like a goose, but yes, what are you going to do? Yes. Um, but basically, uh, the bottle they used for this, they took off the leather straps that were on it that were uh, used as part of the commemorative bit, and they put a vinyl strap on it so that you could <laughs> pick it up and because it was futuristic. It <laughs> yeah, everything in the future has vinyl. Ooh, why would we use leather? That comes from cows. 
I particularly so, liked it because this is actually a bottle that uh, my mom used to have on our decorative shelf filled with uh, cranberry liqueur. So seeing it in a Star Trek episode when I was like seven or eight, it was like a, that was that was pretty right? cool stuff. I will tell you that uh, uh, one of the cool things is, is after you told me the story about your mom having that bottle, I had to go look and I found it on eBay and I got myself one. <laughs> uh, it's real cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now the actual prop that was used in this show, uh, ended up on a shelf at Desilu. It was reused several times in Star Trek. And, uh, I mean, you'll, if you keep an eye out, you'll see this weirdo bottle all over the place. <laughs> People on Star uh, Trek like to drink. They do. <laughs> now, interestingly enough though, uh, a couple years later in 1971, it was also used as a prop on Mission Impossible which was really funny because the guy who was guest starring on mission impossible was Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> so the thinking is that the director was actually a fan because the bottle was prominently displayed like center screen <laughs> right next to Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> so anyway, Kirk comes in and asks for this brandy and I'm trying to figure out is McCoy the only place you can get alcohol on on the ship and if so does he lock it up i mean you're the captain why would you just come in <laughs> right and grab well, a bottle and leave but maybe that's one of those things that it's like you have to buy your liquor at the at the city store you can't go buy it at the grocery store there, you have to go to the, go. Go to the county store sorry the enterprise it's wasn't really, dry it was damp exactly yeah exactly. okay <clears throat> but I did like that when McCoy comes over to open the cabinet for him, he clearly takes something out of his pocket or something and acts like he's unlocking it. <laughs> and next to it, it's got a push button. That's, that's what he unlocked is the push button. <laughs> I was expecting to see him a couple of, you know, replacement razor heads in there, you know, a couple of <laughs> CVS. Behind, behind oh, he closed that door pretty quick. He didn't want us to see the little baggies in there and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So uh, he he exits the sick bay, and what happens? Well, he runs into Yeoman Rand. He decides to stop by her office. Or, that's or, right. He, he goes to her office first. He doesn't see her yet. Yeah, he goes to her quarters, which are different quarters than she had in Charlie X. They show the, the placard. She's moved, actually, her quarters from one place to another. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. Yeah, it is real weird. So you know, he I starts he, walking around when she's not around. I love that she has a painting up on a stand and he quickly, he, being evil Kirk, he quickly looks at it and just kind of like tosses it aside because, you know, evil Kirk would have no appreciation for such things. Why would I like art? Gross. <laughs> I'm a big tough man who's all drunk on brandy. <laughs> I could walk around my ship and drink brandy if I want. And he does. He just like stomps around there like, this place sucks. And the thing about this sucks. It really doesn't strike most of the crew crew as that odd. That that Kirk is stomping around drunk in Rand's quarters? (laughs) Right? Yeah, when he's walking around the, when he's taking the big glugs, when he's walking around the uh, the hallways before he gets to Rand's quarter, people just, "Mm, yeah, Captain Kirk. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like we're getting a day off tomorrow, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, before this, we should probably point out, Kurt comes home to his room. Yes. And in his room, we find 
Yeoman Rand sitting at his desk, sorting through data cube things. <laughs> and she goes, these are all in order now and hands them to him. And he is not at all surprised by the fact that Rand is in his quarters. And this isn't like a ready room. It's not an office. This is his room with his bed and a desk. This is not a secretary thing. I'm guessing the whole thing is that he's never there usually. Yeah, but why is she there? She has a room identical to it down the hall. <laughs> That's what I don't get. I, I, it just makes no sense to me. Anyway, so he takes all the data cubes from her and he lays down and goes to sleep. So then we do evil Kirk walking around in, Jan's, er, in Rand's quarters. And then we switch back to good Kirk in his room with his shirt off for whatever reason. One thing I do want to point out when he stomps around Rand's room, they, they keep on making him a little bit crazier and crazier and they do a close up of him right at the end of the scene where it looks like he's looking at something and he's getting very excited. It's, but I couldn't help but think that guy is going to try on all of her shoes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know it, man. <laughs> that look on his face and we couldn't quite see, but the way he's looking at it, it's like he found her shoe closet. And he's trying those things on. <laughs> right. No, it wasn't her shoe closet. It was her wig collection. <laughs> he's like, I'm putting on the basket. <laughs> man, I hope my neck is strong enough for that. Dang. <laughs> so Spock shows up at Kirk's place and Spock walks in and says, Whoa, you wax a lot. <laughs> No, that's not what he says. And but, remember, this I mean, is the 60s, so we couldn't CGI the your back hair office. <laughs> right? No, he was like, like baby smooth. That's impressive. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Spock looks at him and he's like, um, what is what is going on here? Why, why is your shirt off? I mean, why did you just go see Rand? At this point. I mean, not Rand. Uh, why did you go see Bones? Yeah. And he says, you know, the doctor said you were ranting like a madman. And Kirk's like, oh, oh, Bones was just having you on. <laughs> Which the look on Spock's face is kind of like, you guys realize how many experiments I run at one given time? Right. Do you, this is, I don't have time for frat boy stuff. <laughs> Brain the size of a planet. <laughs> got to stop saying that. Every time I see Spock, I think about that. Life. I, all I can think is Marvin the Paranoid Android. <laughs> and he totally, he's got a lot of parallels with Marvin, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> and so do the doors, because every time they open, they go, ah. <laughs> Sorry. So Kirk and Spock get called to the transporter. And now Wimpy Kirk is now sporting the jaunty green number uniform. His, his famous wraparound, wraparound uniform shirt. Now, the wraparound uniform shirt, I believe this is actually the first appearance of it. Uh, um, yes. I did not do a deep dive on it. I will save that for the next time he wears it, I promise. <laughs> but yes, according, according to most sources, this is his first appearance in the, in the green outfit or the green tunic, green shirt, whatever you want to call it. Now, I wonder if it was created specifically to differentiate between good and bad Kirk. Or there if it has just been so some speculation on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it worked. So it, it, I don't know. What are you going to do? Um, I so, just assumed it had more of a uh, girdle effect on uh, William Shatner than the, than the yellow. No. Man. 
quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you watch this episode. No, I mean, listen, the guy's not in terrible shape or anything, but he is definitely wearing a girdle to to make things easier throughout his scenes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but he, uh, when he's wearing the tunic, the tunic doesn't sit well, right? He's His outfit and everything he's wearing underneath <laughs> is all geared towards a t-shirt style. And he's wearing this tunic that's all tight and everything. So every time he moves, it rides up on him <laughs> and it does not look good. <laughs> Feel bad for him. That could not have been easy to, to, to wear. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Now at this point we find out there is something weird going on because <laughs> we've got not just one, but two crazy devil <laughs> dog things. So, so we beamed up and it split in two. This dog is really sedate and this dog is really, really mad. And I'm thinking, are you sure you just didn't beam up two dogs and one likes being in a costume and the other one doesn't? Right. Cause it kind of seems like that. I mean, one of them's in Sulu's arms. The other's in a box. <laughs> that seems pretty, pretty likely. That's what's going on here. So, I mean, looking at it, it's like, we, we think, we think the transporters had like a, a you know, Jekyll and Hyde mode for this or, or at least goofus and gallant mode of. Right. <laughs> and so we get the, the, uh, the contemplative look off into the distance. I wonder what's going on. <laughs> and then we switch over to Rand Rand coming home from a long day at work, oh. sitting in Kirk's quarters for some reason. <laughs> she walks in and she walks up to her vanity, which is a, rotating set of drawers in the wall that when she spins it around, it's a vanity. Oh, I love this thing. This is awesome. You know, it, it definitely does set the standard though. Star Trek's always had a thing about really cool, complicated vanities and bedrooms, <laughs> yes. right? You, you look at all the series, they've all got one. Uh, my personal favorite is the next gen one where it's a drawer that pulls out of the wall and it's got a beaded uh, sink in it. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's super weird. <laughs> But, eh, what are you going to do? It was neat. This is what sinks will look like in the future. Right. <laughs> no, the first time I saw it, I noticed that she had the tiny, tiny mirror up there. It's like, why would you have such a tiny mirror? And then I realized, oh, because when it rotates, it would have shown like the cameraman and the production crew. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's very lim- or very strong limits on what you can do when there's a mirror in the room. <laughs> now, she proceeds to start trying to take down her hair. Um, Which I, unfortunately she was terrible at doing this. Um, cause all she kind of did was just touched areas of her head and didn't do anything. If she's taking out that hair, she should have, she should have the next day off because that's going to take a while. Right. I <laughs> listen, I'm not for what happens next. What happens next is awful. Yes. But I wanted this scene to go on and on and on. So I could see how you unpack that basket <laughs> hairstyle. It's amazing. I want to see how it goes together, man. It's like, is there a styrofoam head inside there? There's gotta be something going on. It's crazy. I assume that's where she kept the little data chips and just had a little. <laughs> <laughs> it's the futuristic equivalent of having a pen stuck in your, your ponytail. <laughs> Fanny packs are passe. Now we keep things in our hats. <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden, evil Kirk pops out. Hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> so, you can call me Jim. And the reaction, oh. <laughs> right? Like, that's the, I, okay. I don't want to call you Jim. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, 
Um, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> and I love his whole thing. He's like, we've both been pretending too long. And I'm thinking in her, and it's like, no, I know where you've been and much of what you have done. And I'm going to take a hard pass on it. Thanks. <laughs> right. <Ugh. laughs> uh, then things get bad. Yes. Janice slashes him across the face with her nails. And he deserves Good. it. Yeah. And then for some reason, the door opens and Fisher walks by. <laughs> he's having a day. Right. And he's like, oh, uh, hey. And Kirk's like, I'm going to chase this guy down because he saw something he shouldn't see. <laughs> it was the Star Trek equivalent of Biff chasing down uh, uh, McFly in the, the <laughs> Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. So this is the most uncomfortable that I have been watching any Star Trek. I have to be honest. Um, it was a crazy visceral scene. Yes. Uh, it's so a lot of times we get to stand back and laugh at this stuff and we get to say, you know, look, it's just so stupid. It's funny. This scene was really hard to watch because the mentality about this type of situation has changed drastically. Kirk has her pinned down on the ground with her arms held above her head. Yes. And everything in this scene tells you what's going to happen. This man is going to straight up rape her. And it is so hard to watch. And what really bugs me about it is that all this is going on. Fisher sees it and he walks over to a call box and he goes, hi, this is Fisher. I'm on this deck <laughs> at this location. And then he gets clocked. Not security, Rand's quarters now or something. Now, one thing I just do want to point out about this scene from the opposite side, though, not once does she give up fighting. Not once does she accept what is happening. She fights and fights and fights. And even to the point where she almost gets away, and that's when the door opens and she yells to Fisher, get Mr. Spock, get Mr. Spock. It's it's one of those things that uh, uh, the reaction was appropriate. The, uh, um, and it was nice to see that even at that time, the idea was like, oh no, you, you fight this. You, well, and if you look, you know, even 10 years earlier, you put this same scene on TV and she would have fought, 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 submitted. Yes. We would pan the camera away and yeah, right. It would have been this, this moment they had that started off rough. No, it's not. This is terrible. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, you're right. I was really glad that they let it be terrible right there and said, no, this is wrong. So I wish it would last pretty rough scene, but I'll have to say actually pretty well acted by the two actors. Absolutely. They, again, they did they, a really good job to feel that uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. It, uh, it, it was all, it was all very believable. Now, considering that at this time, um, she was actually going through some fairly heavy situations herself with sexual assaults. I cannot even imagine what it had to have been like emotionally to film a scene like this. Yes. Yes. I'm right there with you. It's, it's one of those things that kind of boggles the mind when you know that at least a little of the, you know, the backstory of it or the, or the behind the scenes of what was going on with her. Right. Okay. So a little bit lighter. Um, we we flash over to good Kirk and he's like, no, man, I've been here the whole time. I have not done 
anything, I swear to God. I'm going to tell you right now, I did not have sexual relations with that yeoman. There definitely, definitely <laughs> were some corollaries. Uh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Jim, I don't know. Somebody's been leaving liquor bottles all over the ships. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> we didn't even have any Saurian brandy yesterday. <laughs> so, and as we look down a hallway, all of a sudden, <laughs> we see Kirk's hand just shoots out and holds up in front of the camera so you can see the weird thin red paint that was ripe rubbed on his knuckles. <laughs> I'm really wondering the idea behind the shot. Who thought the shot was a good idea because it just seems so bizarre, right? It was just well, like the hand just kind of shoots out there. It's, it's very monster movie. And I guess going with the Jekyll and Hyde type thing, yeah. but it's very monster movie ish. Yeah. But that not even movie. good though. It was just like, <laughs> okay, that's your hand, whatever. <laughs> hey, I, I kind of figured you were standing there. Uh, and then he like stumbles around the hallway and picks a door and runs in. And you're like, wait a minute. Is, Does, isn't this his room? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite tell. I was going to go back and rewatch to see. Cause when he goes in that room, there's a chest above the head of the bed, which I don't think was in his quarters. So I ah. think he went into somebody else's quarters, but then goes to his quarters later. Cause when he does the rant, I'm the captain. He's in his quarters. Then that's fair. They mentioned oh, that they, you know what? He couldn't have been in his quarters because good Kirk was in there getting interrogated. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So yeah. he, I think he was just jumping into an extra room so nobody would see him. Right. Um, Cause you know, bloody knuckles <laughs> scratches on face, bloody knuckles. So actually, no, I, I take that back. He was not in uh, Kirk, good. Kirk was not in his quarters. Cause at this point, good Kirk is now in the, uh, um, the briefing room being interrogated. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> so Spock's in there with him and they brought in Janice Rand and he's like, Rand, it wasn't me. I didn't do this. And she looks at him and she's like, uh, yeah, it was you. I was there. Uh, I was so scared and so upset that I scratched your face. And he's like, look, look at my face. I'm not scratched. And they immediately, they immediately do reaction shots to both Spock and McCoy as if, dude, that's not a very good, de- that's not a very good defense when there's dermal regenerators like all over the place. <laughs> like, do you know we live in the future? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Grace Lee Whitney uh, did, uh, she wrote an autobiography and she said that, um, she did in fact have a hard time getting into the scene. Um, she, she has a lot to say about this whole episode actually. Yes. She still to this day says it's one of her favorite episodes uh, or well, not to this day cause she's dead, but you know, um, <laughs> till the end of her life, she said that this was one of her favorite episodes, uh, but that it was really, really hard for her to do. Uh, she could not really work herself up to be in the scene. So, uh, when she was trying to get into the, get into it, Shatner apparently slapped her to try to give her something to react to. Now, just to be clear, there's no particular word in her account of exactly where he slapped her or how hard, but we'll just, you know, take that as written. I, well, I mean, judging by some of his other performances, I'm going to guess he just slapped her across the face. Cause he's like, that's what the writers told me to do in that last <laughs> episode. But yeah, I mean, at least she had something to draw off of. I, I, I really, I wonder if it was like, okay, 
you stand there for a second, I'm going to do something. You're not going to like it and <laughs> you can use it to draw off of. Or she was like, you know, I'm really just not feeling it. I don't know if I can get into it. And he's like, bam. <laughs> I don't know. It's with him. It could go either way. The untold story. She ate his yogurt out of the refrigerator. Oh, <laughs> people at work are doing this new thing. I don't understand. They're naming their food. Today I ate a sandwich named Kevin. <laughs> so that joke in our house, everything that gets put in the fridge, it's leftovers says Kevin on top. <laughs> we have Tupperware in our cupboard that says Kevin on it. That's anyway. awesome. <laughs> so then they bring in Fisher and Fisher's like, yep, that's the guy who hit me. <laughs> Yeah, it was you, dude. You were kicking my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the whole thing is very much, everybody's like, did you, uh, did you assault her? No. Okay. Let me, let me think this over. Like just so nonchalant about the whole thing. Like <laughs> they're not really upset about the assault. They're more upset that he's lying about it. And it's like, guys, shouldn't she get like some, support or therapy or something like somebody talk to her. Nope. Get up, get out. Right. You, you made your statement. <laughs> oh, sixties. <laughs> and <clears throat> Spock. Oh my God. Spock. There's only one logical answer. <laughs> really? Only one. <laughs> I, I agree. The one logical answer is this dude's lying to you. <laughs> Nope. No, we're in he space. Says, <laughs> he says the only logical answer is that there's an imposter. <laughs> I just pulled that out of my butt right now and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> so the Vulcans are well known for only worshiping logic. <laughs> They're also apparently well known for not knowing what logic means. <laughs> So originally this particular scene was supposed to come after the next scene in which Spock and Kirk really figure out, okay, the transporter split us in two. Sorry, split me in two. Okay. Um, Penn though rearranged this because he thought it was more powerful to have Spock and Kirk have some form of doubt. All right. And the inability of Kirk to figure out why the crew was lying about him. And he thought that was a much better scene than originally how it was done, where they figure out, hey, I got a duplicate. And then they go, it was like, oh, Rand, you know what? It's my duplicate. So, yeah, which the order of those? I do think it, it makes for some very good drama um, because the other way is kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, that thing happened. Okay. <laughs> which, I mean, there are good episodes that are like that, but they're pretty rare. Usually an episode that's like that is pretty bad. Yeah, and like I said, the the reaction shots they have for Spock and Kirk, where they're both kind of like, uh, I'm not sure exactly what to think here. Um, right. Kind of, kind of added that. And it was at this point that the writers went, "Oh man, we left those guys on the planet." Oh. <laughs> now, w- one thing about this: the people down on the planet, the B story was added to bring some urgency to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the writer Richard Matheson did not write that it was brought in by the staff writers and he really thought it was unnecessary to add it. Um, I see yeah. why, cause they were trying to put some sort of urgency to the, uh, 
to the timeline, but he he still liked the episode, but he thought the B story just bucks up your A story and it just takes away time from, you know, from the good story. Yeah, I think the A story was strong enough to stand on its own. Um, but then again, the, adding that urgency made it a reason that they had to do the transport. Yes. But I think they could have gotten around that by like, you know, there's cellular degradation or something like that. Yes. Boom. There you go. Now you've got your urgency. We always know every time something weird goes on with people, cellular degradation is always a problem. Right. Hey, he's, uh, he's turning into a fish person. <laughs> Not sure why. Salamanders. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kirk is now just carrying around the little, uh, the, the stoned dog. <laughs> I'm not really sure why, but it seems to be calming his nerves, I guess. <laughs> it is a little odd. They 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 kind of went from indignant Kirk to I don't know if I can stand up myself. <laughs> Super um, wussy wimpy Kirk. Just like out so of nowhere. Indecisive. <laughs> and the thing is, why is he still in command? You find right. out that you've been split into two different people. You know what? You should no longer be in command of this ship. Right? You you put Kirk in a, in a cell and then you scan the ship for Kirk and you put him in a cell too. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Spock and Kirk figure out, all right, there's an evil Kirk running around. That's what's really going on. And we got to track the jerk down, but don't kill him because we don't know what sort of effect that's going to have. Um, and then this is one of my favorite parts and I'll explain why he Kirk says, you know what? I'm going to tell the crew what's going on. Cause they're a good crew and they deserve it. And Spock stops him and is like, you can't do that. You're the captain and you have to be perfect in their eyes. And if you aren't perfect in their eyes, if they start to doubt you, you will lose command. And the reason I love this scene is because it will be shown again in the movie. U five, seven, one decades later, the movie yeah. U571 actually has at least three speeches are lifted from classic Star Trek. <laughs> and wow. this is one. Is it really that surprising <laughs> that a movie about submarines <laughs> quotes Star Trek? I need to get, I haven't watched that movie in years. I need to go back and watch it just so I can document the, the actual, because right. I it remember was kinda, at the time, you just like, I, I know this exact speech. I could almost say this <laughs> exact thing. <laughs> I think Hardy was kind of weird was when the uh, German U-boat was talking about how many Kelly cams it was until <laughs> the other ship. Um, th- this whole scene's really weird. Um, I-, I feel like watching it, I was like, I don't really get why Spock is doing this other than this is Star Trek machismo, uh, which will pers- persist in all the shows. Yes. It doesn't matter male or female character. It will persist that you have to show strength. If you don't show strength, no one's going to follow you. They, it, there was a whole thing that starship captains were kind of a, a pinnacle of humanity type thing. Um, and they talked about a lot in the old series uh, about, you know, not one man in a hundred could do what you do and on and yeah. on and on of how specifically special these guys are. Now, why they allowed them to run around on dangerous planets being that valuable is beyond me. Right. But like not, not one man in a hundred could do what you do. So we're going to make sure that we got to find another one. (laughs) So weird. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. There is kind of a a machismo thing because 
it'll go so far to the turnabout intruder, which the lady will claim, well, they don't even let ladies become starship captains, which we later find is not true. Um, There were lots of female starship captains and even admirals, according to Discovery Um, and Strange New Worlds. Come on. There were female admirals in next gen also. Oh, yeah. But I'm talking about 100 years back, going back 100 years from next gen. Yeah. yeah. Um, So uh, uh, but you're absolutely right. There were there was a certain level of, you know, we're men. Yeah. (laughs) We're so cool. Manly men on the moon. Manly men. Okay, no. So uh, wimpy, 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 wimpy Kirk is still just getting wimpier and wimpier by the moment. Um, so yeah, I totally get he's really sliding down. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So he tells the crew, everybody, the crew, hey, there's somebody who looks like me. We got to find him. <laughs> and Kirk tells him, don't forget to tell him not to kill him. Oh, yeah. Right. Don't kill him. <laughs> so evil Kirk hears this and it makes him really upset. <laughs> and so he just starts smashing everything. Knocks books to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and then he throws a TV down. Oh, no. <laughs> and he starts yelling, I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> Which the thing is, if you have to be in your room yelling it at the top of your lungs, is it really true? Who you who I mean, you really trying to convince in this case? <laughs> I'm I'm Captain Kirk. That's why I do that. I yell it in my room all the time. I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> I so I actually really love this performance though. Like he's he's got his mouth open in this way. It, it looks like he's trying to eat the world. <laughs> he's just and he's screaming and it, it's so amazing. Also, you can see the zipper on his uniform. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about him standing there screaming in this pivotal moment. And you're like, I see a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> also, he decides, well, he said that I, I have scratches on my face. So let's do something about that. And he goes behind a wall and you're like, oh, he's got a medical kit back there. <laughs> no, he's no. got a makeup kit back there. <laughs> We didn't know Captain Kirk was actually a, one of the people in the Enterprise Drama Club. So he had right. you know, various makeup. Everything things. about this show is about him putting on makeup. Now, <laughs> I do have to say, though, when he goes to put on makeup, he does it in front of the weird uh, Victorian style mirror <laughs> in the vanity, which tells me he's in Rand's quarters again <laughs> and he's putting on her makeup. That would that would make the most sense. Ew. Yeah. Like he only knows two quarters on this whole ship. His and Rand's. And he's like, uh, if I'm drunk, I'm going in there. That's the way this works. So he opens the door and this poor bastard Wilson's walking by. This is the same Wilson who helped him when he got into the transporter room at the very beginning of the show. Wilson's a nice guy. And he, he asked Wilson, Hey, uh, Wilson, give me your phaser. Wilson's kind of like, uh, okay. And, and the evil Kirk's like, so, uh, you know, how have you been? Was like, fine, sir. And he's like, not anymore. <laughs> right. It just shoots him or not shoots him, but hits him. What, he just beats him a couple times and drags him into Rand's quarters. So when Rand gets home, there's going to be a guy passed out in her quarters. So, you know, again, <laughs> um, 
Wilson's definitely not going to hang out with Kirk anymore after this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I am transferring. <laughs> right. Um, I did want to point out that when he asked Wilson for his phaser, there was a very distinct noise of Velcro. <laughs> that phaser is Velcro to the side of the uniform, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's why so, Starfleet never could sneak up on anybody. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go ahead and pull grip. <laughs> Quietly draw your weapons. <laughs> intruder nope. alert. Intruder alert. <laughs> so we switch back to Sulu <laughs> and he and his boys are all, uh, they're, they're all wrapped up in a p- parachute. <laughs> okay. All I can say is again, I lived someplace that was really cold. You have a phaser. They have lots of rocks around there. You should be digging yourself a shelter of some kind. Right? I'm thinking dig a pit, throw that that big parachute over the top of it, and all of you get in there and huddle together. Because the ground's a great insulator. But there was also these big rocks. You could have like built yourself a small cabin out of one of those rocks with a phaser. Or used a phaser to just dig a long tunnel and go to the back of the tunnel. Yep. Uh, But instead, uh, we're going to wrap ourselves in blankets uh, and hope for the best. So Spock's like, hey, um, we tried to send down some thermal heaters. That didn't work. Because <laughs> um, there were good ones and bad ones. I Yeah, they, <laughs> the evil ones just refused to heat. I, I'm really confused because I have a space heater. It really doesn't seem like it's a switch and a heating element. Uh, how That's much because it's well on? balanced with both sides. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, they, they also tried to send some uh, jackets down, but the uh, evil ones were real <laughs> cold. <laughs> Everybody thought the evil ones looked cooler, so they just wanted to wear those, and they were like, oh, it's so cool. Tents. Could you send down tents? Nope, nope. They split into evil and good tents. <laughs> then the whole crew would be too intense. <laughs> okay, nope. Nope, nope. That's <laughs> enough of that. All right. <laughs> so now they're left with only one option. Let's try to think like Evil Kirk. <laughs> so Kirk is like, well, what would I do? Huh? What would I do? Okay, we've I already been to up decks. We've already been to Rand's quarters, so where would I go next? <laughs> What's left? I don't know. Let's see. There's eat ham. Go to Rand's quarters. <laughs> Be rude to people on the bridge. And oh, 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 unlicensed fights down in the lower decks. <laughs> <laughs> so they head to the lower decks. Down we go. This is going to be one of the few times we see like what's on the other side of the huge warp stacks that are uh, there. Because oh, that's um, true. Yeah. He'll fight Finny now- later in. in uh, and I forget the name of that episode, but the, we don't really see this part of the in, uh, engineering all that often. That's true. Well, That's I mean, back mess. in these days, we didn't see engineering very much at all, true. except for, you know, the one panel. Um, <laughs> I do think that before they left, though, you know, Kirk's just sitting there with his little wraparound shirt. I'm pretty sure that Spock should have been like, you know what? To make things easier later, I'm going to write the real Kirk on your chest under your shirt. <laughs> Just in case. But alas, none of them has seen any TV or movies ever. 
I do like that Kirk is just wimpy. Kirk is just getting wimpier, wimper by the moment. This podcast is like, Hey, pull up your gun. <laughs> and he even just kind of hand holds it in his hand loosely. <laughs> right. Yeah, everything's yeah. hard. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. go. <laughs> You're mean. I just, I don't want everybody to know about this. <laughs> He's like, you already sat on the bridge and told everybody, Hey, there's a guy who looks like me. Right. So yeah, that boat has kind of left the dock. Well, if I'm going to be the captain, I have to act like it. I really like the idea of we think this dangerous guy might be down in the lower deck. So Spock, you and me, let's head down there. Right. Well, wouldn't we call security as well? Yeah. I, seriously. <laughs> like what they should have done is said, okay, Spock and Kirk go to the brig, get in a cell security team. Comb the entire ship until you find Kirk. Bring him to the brig. Problem solved. There you go. Real easy. But no, no, they had to have Kirk go after Kirk. <laughs> so <clears throat> they're they're like squeezing in between these little the 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 big warp pylons <laughs> that that look like they've got four steam engines there. <laughs> and as they're squeezing through there. Um, Kirk kind of rounds the bend and he's being real quiet and he doesn't see anybody. Nobody at all. <laughs> so evil Kirk has to jump down. <laughs> hitting the metal deck in leather boots and there's only a couple other people in there. It kind of seemed like you would have heard him, but right. You know. Well, maybe it was uh, Scotty's anti-fatigue mat for working on the warp thing. Oh, there we go. He, there, he there jumped we. on and he was like, <laughs> Yeah, nice and quiet. So Kirk, evil Kirk confronts Wimpy Kirk and Wimpy Kirk tries to tell him you can't kill me because I'm a part of you. And evil Kirk is really thinking about whether that's true or not. It's it kind of goes that kind of that Gollum Smeagol thing or or if you've seen Superman three, the fight in the dump, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of that sort of thing. Um, and fortunately, while evil Kirk is ranting, Spock walks up behind him and delivers the first produced example of the Vulcan neck pinch. As I mentioned earlier, not the first <laughs> broadcast, the first shot. So down goes Kirk, but not before he squeezes the trigger to his phaser, which fires into a wall. And we find out, yeah, he wasn't using the non-lethal uh, setting on his phaser. He, he takes out an entire wall. I, I would like to point out though, that the, during the fight scene between the Kirks, <laughs> it was so bad. Okay. First off. So good. Kirk is standing there against the warp thing. And there's this little like tinted or screened area next to him that the camera's looking through at. Yes. Evil Kirk across the room. Now, this is a good camera technique when you've got a situation like this, where you want to make it look like this guy's standing over there. Problem is, is that the guy that they chose to look at looks nothing like Shatner. <laughs> so looking through, looking at him through the screen, you're like, mm, that's not him. <laughs> and the guy is standing there and he's got his gun held out in front of him and he's just standing straight. And then the camera would switch over to look at evil Kirk. <laughs> and he's like curled up in a ball against another warp pile. And then they switch back and there he is standing straight up with his gun in his hand again. You're like, come on guys, you're not even trying. And then 
they switch to an actual fight scene where they're beating the tar out of each other. The guy that they have playing Kirk from the back is about six inches taller than Shatner. And he's massive. Totally different haircut on the uh, back on his haircut as well. And it's like Shatner picked this guy. They were like, (laughs) all right, you pick your stunt double. And he's like, oh, that big guy looks just like me. (laughs) (laughs) And at one point, um, as, as he's like attacking Kirk, they have a scene where things slow down and Kirk's talking to him and they're doing the, you know, look at this Kirk, look at that Kirk, look at this Kirk, look at that Kirk. (laughs) Every time they look at evil Kirk, he's looking up (laughs) at this guy. You can see his eyes are looking up. If you're talking to yourself, your eyes won't be up. (laughs) It was so bad. And then Spock just walks up behind him and is like, pinch. <laughs> it was real good. Down you go. Now, the uh, the unit that Evil Kirk will accidentally phaser, which we later will find out is filled with transporter circuits. Bad luck there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a uh, reuse set piece. Of, um, we'll see it later as the uh, PXK Pergium Reactor when we visit the Horda in Devil in the Dark. It's a, a, re- it's a prop that will get reused. I love respotting props. <laughs> uh, actually, I um, on Twitter I follow uh, a bunch of the prop guys and the showrunner from Picard. And when they went to the Daystrom Institute storage facility, um, you know, obviously they threw in a whole bunch of Easter eggs in there. And uh, somebody wrote in and was like, "I didn't see the uh, the four light shooty thing the the scientific module with the four uh, tubes on it that flash at random intervals. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, Terry Metalis came on and was like, he said something like, uh, like, I love that thing. Or I, I couldn't find one to get in the show or something along those lines. And I was like, you know, there, there's just some things that are so universal among fans <laughs> and your favorite prop is always one of those things. So there's somebody else out there who loves that prop too. <laughs> Uh, oh man, the first time I see one of those, deep dive. <laughs> Just, man, can't wait. Um, okay, so then we get to McCoy. McCoy's like, I'm not knocking this guy out. What are you talking about? That's how serious this is. I don't want to give him any more tranquilizers. Leonard McCoy actually said the words, I don't want to give him any more tranquilizers. Right. That's that's not really in his character. That's not that's kind of off brand for him. <laughs> Usually he's like, can't you see this man is suffering? I'm going to put him under. So that said, toenail won't. <laughs> Never mind. So instead he says, let's tie him up. And so they do that. Right. Uh, and then he just kind of, the look he has on his face is like, I'm going to slap him. Oh, I know the double tech when he, uh, when he asked Jim, you know, I tie him up. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that, that wimpy Kirk is like, uh, that sounds like a good idea. And McCoy goes to start doing it and then he stops and turns around and looks at McCoy and you swear to God, he's just going to slap him hard. He doesn't, he fights the temptation, but you could see that look in his eye. (laughs) Yeah. Now Spock proceeds to give his wonderful speech about, Oh, I I know how it feels because I'm a Vulcan and uh, we have like emotions too and stuff, but like we don't, use them because I'm better than you. 
first of all, he seems kind of happy because like, this is a unique opportunity. I get to see you use your whole freewheeling emotional bit and really come back, bite you in the ass, you know, <laughs> it sucks to right. be you, you know? <laughs> now, the thing that pisses me off is it's like, what's your point, dude? You're, you're just ranting now and you're redoing the same exposition that the entire show has been doing. <laughs> this whole episode is all exposition. <laughs> It, the scene kind of reminded me of if you hadn't figured out that we're doing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde yet, right? I'm going to hit you over the head with it now. <laughs> For those of you in the back of the room who missed it, here's what we're doing. It's so crazy. Uh, the mm, very, very preachy episode. And it was so unnecessary and they didn't preach about the right stuff. <laughs> But this episode had plenty to be preachy about, but not what they talked about. <laughs> Spock's whole thing is like, you know, being a bastard has its upsides. Right. <laughs> so we, we jump back down to the planet where it is now 40 below. Ooh, chilly. Ooh. And uh, everybody's all huddled together finally. Um, and they're like, hey, guys, I know it's real cold, but. Um, but Evil Kirk shot some wires and. It's going to take us a week to fix the transporter. I know I'm magic, but it's going to take a week. I don't have any spare parts. <laughs> and the shuttles don't arrive until Tuesday. Right. So the, I guess they just don't have a shuttle because AMT hasn't saved their butts yet. Yes. Um, and, you know, the only critical piece of the ship that is absolutely required for their space travel, they have zero replacement parts. <laughs> they really do have to look into some multiple redundancies because like we just ran Seriously. all the transporter uh, cables through that one pipe there. Oh dang. Somebody shot the pipe. Right. The enterprise D according to the technical manual carried around a spare warp core. So <laughs> those bastards needed saying. it. Right. Well, that's true. They jettison that thing every five Stop. minutes. Jettison the warp core. <laughs> Jordy, how did you do that? I thought I took your button away. You know what? I'm sick of this work, Court. I want a new one. <laughs> Everybody say Enterprise F. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then it's 75 be- below. Um, after we we talked to Scotty for a minute, then they're like, oh, it's, it's real cold now. And so and they're going to heat up some rocks. Yeah. Using a a shower phaser effect that we will only see this once. Okay. We only see the shower phaser effect, but heating up rocks with a phaser to keep warm on a cold planet. That's going to be a trope. Yeah. Yep. Don't think it really works though. <laughs> Maybe the, the photons excite. Uh, no. Well, yeah. Cause <laughs> the whole thing is phasers don't seem to emit heat. Mm. They break down. They do melt stuff. Oh, uh, Okay. All right. You're right. I don't know. Phasers are also a, they're, they're kind of the, uh, the sonic screwdriver of Star Trek. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. Not, not Dr. Who the eighties sonic screwdriver, which only did one thing, but of the two thousands in which a sonic screwdriver can basically become a magic wand and do anything that you, I, yep. I'm just going to pull it out and do that. And it's like, um, it didn't used to do that. Oh, well. (laughs) So, I also was really worried about the uh, the guys in the green tunics who, for some reason, aren't allowed to get near the hot rocks. <laughs> they have to be behind Sulu and the guy in the yellow shirt. 
Like, that's just mean, guys. <laughs> it's nice to see a caste system will still exist in the 22nd right? 23rd century. <laughs> uh, so, Evil Kirk and Whiny Kirk. <laughs> evil Kirk is actually starting to become Whiny Kirk on, on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I started laughing really hard because Evil Kirk starts screaming again. <laughs> he's He would be like, ah! And then when he'd stop, he'd stay there with his mouth open and his teeth gritted. <laughs> and then just, ah! <laughs> it was so little, good. You've seen little kids do that where they, you know, they cry so hard that they don't make a sound anymore, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. McCoy's like, you know what? He's going to die. <laughs> and Kirk is like, well, I, I, we need to save him. We can't let him die. I don't want him to die. So what does McCoy do? The only thing that the medical manual says you can do in a situation like this, get a drink. (laughs) That's his answer for everything. (laughs) It's in McCoy's bedside manner. That's the book he wrote. It's got three words in it. Get a drink. (laughs) Well, Jim's wimpy. Jim saves evil Jim by holding his hand, which. Okay. Oh, come on. He squinted. <laughs> he, he looked like, intently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He, uh, he, he just, I, I don't know if he was like giving him life force or something. Oh, I don't know yeah. what it was. Hey, yeah, it was. Now, what I find really funny is Kirk starts to this, do this whole thing where he's revolted by the evil and dark version of himself. And McCoy gives him a speech about, you know, that's really what helps make men, men and people, people is the pain. And this is almost the exact same speech. Jim Kirk will give McCoy in star Trek five. When mm-hmm. McCoy tells, Oh, let's say back, take your pain. And Kirk goes on a whole thing. He's like, Oh no, 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 no. I need my pain. And the only reason that, that McCoy bought that in star Trek five is because he knew it was his own speech coming back to bite <laughs> him. He was using his own words right. to win He's like, fine. That's, you're going to throw that in my face. <laughs> it's like, dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. And then evil Kirk is sitting there on the other side of the room with a big old grin on his face. He's like, I'm what makes him a good captain. <laughs> <laughs> or he just heard something he he just remembered something he heard that was funny earlier, you know, but uh, no, he <laughs> evil Kirk, a hundred percent just farted in that room. Also, why are they standing around drinking? I just don't get it. Like, they, okay. Yeah. Setting the scene, five, McCoy, McCoy and, and good Kirk are literally standing there having this conversation with a little tiny aperitif glass full of brandy <laughs> again. And they're just sitting there chit chatting. Like they're hanging out at a party. Cause it is so weird. If you're really going, if you're really going to have dig into philosophy, you know, you have to have something to drink first. That's, you know, I, Oh man, it's so bizarre. And like that guy wants to kill us. So we tied him down. Let's have a nice little aperitif. <laughs> Let's talk about him right in front of him. <laughs> So bizarre. <laughs> anyway, so Scotty's like, hey, um, I don't know if you guys know, but my name's Scotty and I'm amazing. 
So I figured out a different way to fix the transporters. <laughs> also, we're kind of out of time. So we're going to just go ahead and do this. <laughs> I like how we went from, it would take me a week to, oh, I just fixed it. And all I could think of was one of those things of, I really didn't know if this was going to work. So I didn't want to bring it up. So me and Spock just did it. Hey, look, it worked. Hey. It's, uh, that's called being an engineer. It's, it's one of those, you know, far easier to ask for forgiveness than gain permission type things. So 100%. I do not want to explain how we're going to do this because I'll be honest with you. They explained it and I have absolutely, they ran it through the impulse circuits. I have okay. no idea. If you listen to what Spock actually says, he's like, uh, we hooked up wires. <laughs> Cause seriously, he's like, we rerouted the, the, uh, voltage. What was it? we rerouted the junction connectors or something like that. And I'm like, he just said that they hooked up the wires. <laughs> that's, that's all he said is they put them back together. Anyway, Th- this is so this Spock's predates like, uh, when, when Star Trek actually started to like have some consistency with at least some of their imaginary technology. Now we're still just they didn't have a show Bible. <laughs> the show Bible came along. It saved the ser- It saved the franchise. <laughs> Because then nerds everywhere were like, ah, oh, you got it right this time. Ah, I'm so happy. <laughs> hey, get that electronics manual over there. Pick three words out of it. We're good. Right? <laughs> okay, fine. The Heisenberg Compensator. There you go. <laughs> makes up so, for so much. What's that? I said, it makes up for so much. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Most of the technology on the show. <laughs> Uh, so Spock is like, uh, we need like something to test with. How about this dog? <laughs> and he's really worried because he's thinking, oh, this is not going to go well with PETA. Nah, I think he's like, if this doesn't work, I'll bet that thing tastes real good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now they're going to knock out the dog that's been poked with a stick. Well, I mean, I actually wonder if it was a stuffed animal dog or if they really did just give it another shot. Oh yeah. The, I figured it was a, this, there was a like stuffed animal that they actually gave up there that they actually, it, honestly, there, there was the one way these guys treated that dog. It could have gone either way. <laughs> so I just, basically I just love that Scotty's trying to reach into a rabid dog's cage and hold him down. It's like, you don't have people for this. Right. <laughs> so they, they get the dog, they sedate him, they throw him up on the transporter with the already sedated, nice dog. And they transport them. And when they transport him back, well, how do we know what's wrong with the dog? <laughs> well, we get the very first utterance of the classic phrase. Oh, uh, going back to the future. <laughs> Not uh, that one, the other one. <laughs> oh, I am your father. <laughs> No, did he say that in this one? No, no, that's not. That's not <laughs> no, 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 that's. that's oh, uh, oh God. That was Gandalf. Yeah. Oh, my, oh my God. He wasn't the dog's father, was he? Because now I feel even worse. <laughs> uh, he, he had a, what was it? Uh, he had an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> he shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The iconic phrase. He's dead, Jim. That's right. The first time it was said was about a dog. About a dog. Ugh. I was just waiting for Scotty to be like, it turned inside out <laughs> and it exploded, <laughs> which is the best transported line ever. 
Now, one thing I want to think is like, oh, well, the dog's dead. It didn't work. Okay, well, you were trying to meld two dogs into one dog. I mean, okay, that doesn't mean that your transporter won't bring Sulu up fine. It just means that you can't combine the two dogs. Yeah, it kind of seems to me like they got really lucky it wasn't a puddle of goo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm still a little unclear how you do this in the uh, in the uh, the buffer, but I fear it's it's probably. It reminds me of the old, uh, uh, when you used to scan a disc on windows, you know, it had little blocks and keep on going around trying to merge them all together. Yeah. You know, I, cause now back, back in these days, the transporter much more of an analog device. It was, <laughs> it was pretty much a, they disintegrate you and just flush it <laughs> wherever you landed. That's where you were transported to. <laughs> so we got to have a captain's log, but this time it's not Kirk. It's Spock who identifies himself as the second officer, not the first officer. Yeah, that's a little weird. So I'm guessing the pay raise hadn't gone through HR yet, but <laughs> it's been a while, so I'm a little confused. Right. So Spock is sure that the dog died because he was scared and because Captain Kirk is never scared of anything. I don't see how the dog could have been scared. One of them wasn't even awake. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Kirk is, is being all like, I don't know what to do. And Spock's like, well, I'm a Vulcan. I don't know what to do sometimes, but I, then I know what to do. And I'm, and then I get this. And even Spock is like, look, this isn't really working. (laughs) Spock pulls out that mixed race card just a lot. He really does. He, he falls back on that anytime that he feels like, I think it's one of those things of, I don't feel like answering your questions right now. So you know what? I have a half human side and it's (laughs) well, so you know that the, the letter we talked about earlier from the production notes where he talked to Gene and was like, you know, I think there's some, some ways we can take this. I think that conversation that they had informed this scene and basically created the entire backstory that is Spock because this feels more like exposition than anything else. Oh, good Lord. Right. He's like, you don't know who I am. This is who I am. And he sets the tone for his entire character forever by saying, this is what my backstory was all the way until the Kelvin universe said, well, we don't care about history or anything, but he was like, this is who I am. And the bizarre thing is he says this discovery where they decided he had a sister for some reason. (laughs) And, and the the odd thing is, he does all this in a reaction to them talking about are the transporter circuits going to work, right? Because <laughs> McCoy is telling them you just don't want to jump in there and do this without being sure. And yeah, and Spock just jumps out and is like, "Hey, listen, I know what it's like." No, so, it just it just it was a very very odd place to put this because they seem to be having a rather pragmatic conversation about do we take the chance on the transporter circuits right now based mm-hmm. on this experiment. And instead Spock just goes completely metaphysical on the entire argument. It's true. So Kirk starts getting a little bit freaked out and Spock's like, listen, you're having a bad day. I'm going to take over the job for you. <laughs> oh boy. That sobers Kirk up fast. Right. <laughs> I'm the captain. You better watch it. Bucko. You want me to take over? No. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> so Bones is like, you know what? I'm gonna cut open this dog. I gotta figure out what's going on here. <laughs> so he gives it off to an ensign, says, "Take this and get it autopsied immediately." Like, 
Where? Where are you going? You're in sick bay. Nope. He's the got Enterprise, an autopsy room too. The Enterprise, uh, the Enterprise um, animal uh, autopsy gallery is my guess. Oh, yeah. And everybody just goes, <laughs> that's what everybody does because they don't have a holodeck yet. They just go watch him dissect animals. Oh, look, he's got a targ. Okay. So, um, so Kirk is like, you know what? We can wait for the autopsy. And Spock has to remind him, hey, yeah, the other guy's freezing. I know you're not a big fan of Sulu, but he's freezing to death, dude. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not cool. And so Kirk basically says, okay, you know what? We got to do this. We, we got to, we've got to do this, but bones, I still want you to do the autopsy because, well, I really like to make you do gross things that you don't like to do. And when you told him this, it dawned on me that, okay, evil Kirk's got a lot of really bad stuff, but wimpy Kirk still has the passive aggressiveness. Totally. Which I mean, <laughs> it's icky. In other words, neither one of them is really that appealing. <laughs> everybody's just like, uh, do we have to keep them? Wait, I'm getting so, confused. Which part keeps the other one in check? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Sulu calls again. Hey, um, I just, I, guys, it's real cold. Um, it's a, it's like a hundred below. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody else is dead. I, I think, I don't know, but I'm going to die soon. Yeah. And then he just stops talking. <laughs> just I would go ahead and yeah, let you know what's going on before I croak. Right. <laughs> and Spock's, or, uh, uh, Scotty's like, hey, Bones, Spock, um, I think we have more time now. <laughs> <laughs> no reason. <laughs> so... Good Kirk pulls a gun on evil Kirk. And I have to apologize. Earlier, I talked about the two of them fighting. This is actually where they fight. This is where we get the gargantuan stunt man. <laughs> and it, it's amazing. And they, they beat each other up. It's so great. And evil Kirk has to stop and go, hey, Rand, what's up? Remember me? Gross. Yeah, he, he, he just does his like, he, evil Kirk beats up good Kirk meets Rand in the elevator is like, Hey, mind if I stop by your place later? And I can explain all this weirdness. And she's like, okay. Right. <laughs> well, but it's totally okay. Cause he's, he's put concealer on his scratches. So she knows it's the real Kirk. Now I'm going to just put a pin in that spot. Cause Spock saw this. Spock saw him go, I'm going to come to your place later. And her kind of go, uh, all right. And we'll come back to that. <laughs> so Kirk versus Kirk. We're going to have to fight some more. Yeah. So Kirk, evil Kirk just jumps on the bridge and tells everyone we're taking off. Yeah. And they're like, uh, what about Sue? No, we're taking yeah. off. Screw those guys. Never liked the dude. I'm going to tell you, so. they're not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we are getting out and Spock is like, huh, that's really weird. Not, huh, I'm going to knock you out and beat the crap out of you because I know you're evil Kirk. No, just, Mm -hmm. huh, that's really weird. Right? He didn't go, huh, why don't you open your tunic and show me where it says I am the real Kirk on your chest? (laughs) Huh? (laughs) No, of course not. (laughs) Don't say you washed it off. It's Sharpie, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I could have made this easier. So Bone shows up with good Kirk and... 
Kirk and Kirk decide to fight, and Spock is just like, yeah, let them figure it out. Right? <laughs> we have to let this play out. <laughs> no, you can knock them both out. Trust me. Exactly. It's like, why don't you just stun both, throw them in the transporter, and see what happens? <laughs> right? And they ham it up. Oh, man. Both of them are just like, fight, fight, fight. Oh, yeah. They they ham it up like crazy. It's real good stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of teeth gnashing. There's a lot of oh. thoughtful looks from Wimpy. Seriously, Kirk. what is it with Shatner? Every time he gets into an aggressive stance, he's got to open his lips up and his teeth like <laughs> bare his teeth, and it just it, it looks like he's trying to make a robot face. It doesn't look <laughs> like he's angry. Anyway, so. Let's just uh, put them in the transporter, see what happens. I mean, at this point, what do we got to lose? <laughs> so this is the part I love because good Kirk is holding evil Kirk who's been knocked out and is hugging him. But it's clear that evil Kirk does not have the same haircut as good nope. Kirk. So you're wondering. They don't have the same haircut. You... They don't have the same build. They don't have the same anything. <laughs> and we And Spock, for some reason, decides that, well, I'm thinking this is a liability thing. Scotty was like, well, I said I was work, but I ain't doing it. Right. <laughs> it sounds a bit more sciencey. That That's more your thing. Can you imagine being able to see yourself walk down a hallway? <laughs> it can't be fun to watch. <laughs> like seeing video of yourself is one thing. It's easy to tell yourself like the video made it do that. But, like <laughs> actually see it. Ugh, no, thanks. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So uh, they, they transport everybody up. Well, they, they Spock goes ahead and hits the transporter, but he waits a long time before he, uh-huh. before he energizes it back up because McCoy's getting obviously nervous about the whole thing. Yeah. And you're thinking Spock's thinking, is it even worth it? No, Spock's thinking, I am so writing a paper on this. <laughs> so they Spock re-energizes, and there's one Kirk standing there. And they're waiting to see what that Kirk says. And they still don't know to this day whether or not he's the good Kirk or the bad Kirk. <laughs> still gnashes his teeth when he's angry. But of course, <laughs> it's it's the whole Kirk. The whole Kirk comes back. He tells them, get those men off the surface as fast as possible. Which they do. And we have a happy ending. Now, I love the line, though. When they're watching the go people go out and... McCoy asks Jim, how do you feel? And Jim tells him, I've seen a side of myself no man should ever see. And all I can think (laughs) is, yeah, you didn't know your butt was quite that big, did you? (laughs) (laughs) You could see your own bald spot, couldn't you? (laughs) But Sulu and those guys, they have, you know, some severe exposure, frostbite. Meh. Meh. You know, and, he's and only missing toes says, and fingers. I'm I'm pretty sure they'll make it. I mean, he's very casual about it. <laughs> like, seriously, why did everybody hate Sulu so much back then? <laughs> he becomes a, an integral part of this crew, but back then they're like, eh, he's just a guy. Remember, this Who is cares? before the naked time, so nobody's seen him without a shirt off yet. So, you know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. We go back to the bridge, and we're going to get to the other really problematic piece. This is why I said we'd put a pin in the fact that Kirk was like, I'll come see you later. Spock is on the bridge and Rand comes up to him and he, he looks at her and he says, 
something along the lines of, you know, that those looks that you were giving, I saw that it wasn't all bad. Was it? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So first off the look that Rand gives him of like you unbelievable bastard. Yes. Really great. I, I was very proud of her for her performance in this. Um, now in her autobiography, first off, in case it wasn't obvious, they're basically saying you kind of liked it. Yeah. Right. And in her autobiography, she wrote, and I quote, I can't imagine any more cruel and insensitive comment a man or Vulcan could make to a woman who has just been through a sexual assault. But then some men really do think that women want to be raped. So the writer of the script, Richard Matheson, although it could have been added by Gene, gives us a leering Mr. Spock who suggests that Yeoman Rand enjoyed being raped and found the evil Kirk attractive. It was an amazing line from her book. Absolutely fantastic. And she's 100% right. This scene was gross. Yes. Agreed. So Richard Matheson was apparently very happy with the episode. Yes. Um, which it's a great episode. It really is. Yeah. He, he thought uh, Shatner did a really good job. Um, like I said, he didn't write the freezing part to add the urgency, but, uh, he thought they did a really good job with the story. Um, Leo Penn said Shatner was a good actor who gave a good performance and said he had a really good time directing the show. I personally like the review given by James Doohan though, who of Shatner's performance said it was pretty okay. (laughs) (laughs) Man, a few words. (laughs) So yeah, this episode, um, it's a really good episode, but it is rather problematic. Um, lots and lots of horrendous misogyny. And we're going to just keep on going down that trail with the next episode. Muds women. <laughs> okay. Muds women's a great episode too. Uh, but yeah, real bad. <laughs> he had so many, so many just bad thoughts on the whole thing. <laughs> but that's for next time. Uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us for this one. Yes. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Um, great episode. Uh, want to take a moment and say thank you to our friends over at uh, five year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro. Thank you. Uh, make sure you check them out at five year mission.net where you can find them on Spotify or Apple music. Uh, they have an ep- or excuse me, an a song for every episode of the original series grouped into albums for each se- for each season. Uh, really, really good stuff. A lot of fun to uh, check them out, buy some of their albums. Very really cool great. stuff. And uh, on that note, thank you very much, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks all. Thanks.